Uh, as we, uh, summer ends, and as we transition into the fall, um, I pray that uh, we will make worship uh, really the highest priority in our lives, and worship the cornerstone for our lives. Um, I think it's something that's been coming up in my own reflections uh, these days, and I realize that worship uh, is what really anchors us, uh, no matter what happens around us in our lives. Worship is what really led us through this long period of pandemic that we experienced. And um, I really felt the power of worship um, happening during the pandemic. And I realize as we are now sort of tail at the tail end of the pandemic and as we now experience different transitions in our lives, uh, I pray that uh, really each week, uh, no matter how we feel, that we will make the effort to come out to worship um, and really make this the foundation of our In today's conversation, um, today's passage is basically a conversation between God and Moses. And in his conversation with Moses, uh, God refers to the Israelites in a very peculiar way. Uh, it's a heated conversation. There's a lot of emotions flying back and forth. We can see that God is visibly uh, frustrated and angry. Uh, but he refers to the Israelites in this way. He calls them a stiff-necked people. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. We don't really use this term uh, in the way we talk uh, or describe people. Because um, this term comes from an agricultural setting. Stiff-necked was a term for animals, uh, farm animals, whether it be cow or ox. They would ignore the farmer's tug at the reins uh, to turn in a certain direction but it would instead go, try to go wherever it wanted. So you would call these animals stiff-necked. So it refers to attitude. It refers to attitude of our, attitude of our mind, um, the way we live. So if a person was described as being stiff-necked, it meant that they were stubborn and rebellious. So it makes you ask, what, in what way was the Israelites stiff-necked? Just from the context of today's passage, it's not very, uh, it's not so apparent. We hear that they made the golden calf from what God talks about with Moses. But what was wrong with making the golden calf? All, that's all they did. All they did was make the golden calf. But the Israelites didn't make the golden calf for no reason. They made the golden calf because they were afraid. While uh, there was a time Moses went up the mountain uh, to speak with God, to receive the Ten Commandments, which would be kind of a thing that would guide and direct uh, the Israelites' life in the wilderness. But after Moses went up, there was no sign of, the Israelites, uh, of Moses coming back. So the Israelites started getting worried. I mean, they could wait a little bit, but the longer it went on for, they started getting worried. And the longer Moses was away, the Israelites became more impatient. They started wondering, did Moses abandon us? This guy who was supposed to lead us out of this uh, wilderness into the promised land, did he just go up and abandon us? They probably wondered, did God abandon us? And their frustration and patience and worries eventually reached its peak. And they pressured Moses' brother Aaron to do this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, 
come make gods for us who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. The Israelites did only what was best for them, what seemed best to them. Because really, we can't only wait so long. If what we expect doesn't happen, I mean, there's a time we got to say, okay, we got to do something. And the Israelites had no idea what to do. They were lost, they were confused, so they decided to do and make the golden calf. They needed some kind of assurance that they will be okay. When you're lost, we always want some sort of assurance that will calm our anxiety down. And this golden calf was the thing for them. At least the calf was visible and tangible. They could see it, they could touch it, they could feel it. To say, there's our God. It was a visible and tangible sign for them to cope with their worries. But it wasn't the making of the golden calf that made the Israelites stiff-necked in God's sight. The calf was no God. It had no power to do anything. It was just a statue. What can it do? But it was what they did with the calf that made them stubborn and rebellious in God's sight. They worshipped it. If you look at the story that precedes today's passage, you will see that the Israelites gave all their jewelry. They melted the jewelry to make this golden calf. They gave literally everything that they had. They used it as an antidote for their fears, fear of uncertainty, fear of not knowing their next steps, and fear of survival. The calf gave them a false sense of control and security that they lacked. So it was their means of just coping with the conditions in the wilderness. They were no longer concerned with God or what God had to say to them. Because with the calf, they only listened to themselves. And this was what grieved and angered God. It was their refusal to listen. Yes, wilderness is a difficult place. None of us will choose the wilderness willingly. In fact, we'd rather avoid it. Because wilderness is a place of change and transition where nothing seems certain. It is a place that's in between. What we want instead is jump from destination like that time in between where we have to wait, where nothing seems certain, where everything seems to be in flux. Because we are given no guarantee as to when we will come out of this wilderness that we're in. We are experiencing the wilderness now as we speak. September is usually a time of change and transition. A lot of your students here have gone back to school this week. Some of us are in between jobs. Some of us are transitioning into the next stage of our lives. This week alone, we witnessed two major events that were quite unexpected and unsettling for many. First, we had that tragedy in Saskatchewan, and we also had the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. 
We are also seeing how the current state of economy will affect us financially in the near future. It is an anxious and challenging time to be in. I spoke about the pandemic. I mean, we're at the tail end of it, but it always seems like there's new wilderness that we're entering into every time we come out of the blank. We don't know exactly what to do or how to be when we're in this wilderness. When we experience uncertainty, I realize something happens to us. We immediately close up. Our body becomes tense. We become rigid in our way of life. We stick to what we know. We resort to what is convenient, logical, and predictable. Sometimes we become reactive and controlling. In other words, we refuse to listen to what we need to hear. We stop engaging with our lives. Sometimes we're not even aware of how stubborn we're being. But I realize that refusing to listen is never the solution for going through our wilderness. That's what the Israelites learned. They thought when they were in the wilderness, they knew their way around. But their stubborn refusal to listen led them circling the desert for 40 years. The promised land was really right there. They could have gone to it. But it took them 40 years and two generations to reach the promised land. But it was during those 40 years that the Israelites learned how to listen. How to depend on their God who knows their way. Oftentimes we talk about listening as like a practical skill. Listening is a skill that we can develop. Yes, listening has to be cultivated, but it's more than a skill. Realize listening is like a, it's a posture. It's a way we approach things, the way we live, kind of like being stiff-necked. It's a discipline. To truly listen is difficult. We know this from the conver- even the conversation that we have with each other. Sometimes when someone says something, we have no idea what the person just said. To truly listen is difficult because it requires us to slow down. It makes us set aside everything that we're doing. We have to literally set aside everything we're doing because it forces us to pay attention. We have to give our complete attention to what it is that we're listening to. In that sense, I believe that listening is not just a physical act, but it is spiritual. It involves all of us. It's holistic. That's why it's hard for us to listen, because it's too tiring to do it well. Pretending to listen is very easy, but to really listen is tiring and too hard. We find ourselves too busy and divided in our daily life. Our attention is never focused, it's always divided in many different directions. But I believe that as long as we have the desire within us, we can cultivate our listening. That's what our high C students experienced at the retreat. We saw the recap video last week. James shared his reflection with us. And, they, you know, I think uh, I was telling our staff too, I really think they, all the students had a very healing time at this retreat. But I believe that more so than anything, 
What the students experienced and learned at the retreat was they learned how to listen. Because throughout the whole pandemic, they're in their own space with their own thoughts. They're almost closed up and shut in this whole time. On the first day, as soon as we got to the retreat center, I took their phones away. I locked it up in a box and I said, we'll get it back at the end of the retreat. Apparently, we never did it this in high C. I thought we did, but apparently we never did. Um, so I was very surprised because the students, when I asked for their phones, I was expecting them to say, no, I'm not going to give you my phone. But they all quietly came and put their phones in the box. So I was like, oh, that was very much easier than I thought. But some were not happy about it. Come dinner time, oh, I was, sitting at a, I was sitting at a table with a few students, and one of them, whom I will not name, this student looked at me and said, you know, Pastor Dave, you don't understand our young generation. I see, okay, these guys are not happy about getting their phones taken away. Because their only one and safety net was taken from them. They had nothing to hide behind. You take their phones away, they have nothing to hide behind. When other people are around, they can use their phone and it totally gives them a reason to ignore each other. You take that phone away, what are they going to do? They had no one but themselves and each other. So they had no choice but to really engage. They looked lost for the first day or two. I saw a couple of them just standing outside, just looking around, like not knowing just what to do with their lives. And just, you know, and some of them just got up because they had no phones. They went to bed very early and they got up at like 6 during the morning and started walking around. But they soon started paying attention. It took just two days for them to start paying attention. They became more in tune and connected with their surroundings, with each other, and with themselves. Even during worship, usually when we take our high seats to worship, night sessions are the most difficult because they always fall asleep. But this time, I've never seen them look so focused at night worship than I ever seen before. In the span of three days alone, I noticed them start to change. They had more energy. They showed up at church on the Monday we left, kind of somewhat excited, but still somewhat just heavy, you could sense. But as the days went on, you could notice that they started having more energy. And they became more alive. Students, I'd never seen them smile. They started smiling. So you could tell, I'm like, this is amazing. Even our execs were going like, I just never knew that this person could smile. And by the last day, they didn't even ask for their phones. I thought on Thursday they would come running up to me and say, can I, can, now can you have our phones back? None of them were asking for their phones. I literally had to give it to them. Like, guys, please take it. <laughs> and even though they faced an uncertain future, especially coming out of the pandemic, the students came back with a renewed confidence, focus, and direction for their lives. I even heard one student that he told his parents that he really felt God's power at the retreat. Where did it all come from? It all came from listening. 
when we listen, we open up. Because when we listen, we take a step into the world of the unknown. And in the unknown, we wait for God to speak into our lives. Through prayer, we listen. Oftentimes we think of prayer as us saying something. But in prayer, we're listening as well. Through preaching, we listen. Throughout the week, the preacher has to listen for the message for the congregation. It's not just saying whatever we want to say at the pulpit. And even as the preacher is preaching, you have to, you're listening. Through the events and interactions in our lives, through the events that happen to us, the conversations that we have with each other, we listen. Our summer internship has come to an end, but I think some of our summer interns have started doing this uh, spiritual exercise called the Daily Examine together. It's a way of just looking back on your day, but there are a few questions that you go through. And this, the focus of this exercise is to really discern God's presence and direction in our lives. With listening comes new discovery and realization. And all these things shape the way we understand our life. And God speaks through them to direct our steps. As the Proverbs writer wrote, the human mind plans the way but the Lord directs the steps. Wilderness is where we seek God. Because seeking God leads to listening to God. That's why Jesus went into the wilderness every morning to pray, where there was nothing. There's a way to seek and listen to God at the start of each day. As difficult as it might be to hear through all the noise and distractions, God is always speaking into our lives. So our God is not a God who just stands off aloof in the distance, not wanting to engage. The God of scriptures is a God who desires to be a part of our lives. And God wants to lead and guide us in the right way. No matter how stiff-necked we might have been, God always chooses to speak to us. That's the God we see today in today's passage. God whose mercy is greater than his anger. It says at the end of the passage that God changed his mind. But it's not that God arbitrarily changed his mind. God's mercy was always there. Mercifulness and graciousness, that itself is God's unchanging character. And that is the God whom Moses met. Gracious and merciful God. God said this to Moses later on. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. See, my angel shall go in front of you. No matter how lost you might feel, let us not be afraid. Let us not be consumed by our fears 
and our worries alone. Instead, let us seek God and listen. God has led us to where we are. That means that God will lead us to where we need to go. God gave us a spirit in our hearts. The spirit is our inner compass for our life. Because through the spirit, God makes his will known to us. God speaks to us like he spoke to Moses, like a friend. And that's what Jesus taught us. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. We don't have to see the whole picture beforehand. A lot of times that's what we want. When we are not certain of things, we want it's like maybe if God can show us everything that show me everything that's going to happen, I'll be less worried. In a way, I think it's better that we don't see the whole picture. Because if we did, I think we would be too overwhelmed. All we need to see is our next step. Being content with seeing only the next step is leaving our life in God's hands. Someone shared with me recently, I know that's what I have to do. I've heard it so many times that I have to leave my life in God's hands. But it's so hard. It's so hard to do. I know it, but it's so hard to do. Because when I see problems, I want to fix it. When I see there's something that's wrong with my life, I want to find a way to just fix it and get through it. But to wait and to really seek and listen, oh, that's too difficult. Yes, wilderness does test our patience. But as long as we seek and listen, God will show us the next step. We just need to wait and listen. We will find God's mercy. That's where listening leads to. Finding God's mercy for us. That's what prayer was for St. Macarius. St. Macarius was an Egyptian monk. He was known as the Desert Father. Meaning, Desert Fathers and Mothers, these people chose to go into the wilderness. Like I said before, we wouldn't choose the wilderness. But these folks, they chose to go into the wilderness to strengthen themselves. And in the wilderness, St. Macarius learned the essence of prayer. Some brothers came to him and asked, how should we pray? He said, there is no need to talk much in prayer. Reach out your hands often and say, Lord, have mercy on me, as you will and as you may. But if conflict troubles you, Say, Lord, help me. Because he knows what is best for us and has mercy. God's mercy is what softens us and frees us from our stiff-necked ways. And when we experience God's helping hand every step of the way, we learn to depend on his mercy more and more. I believe that's how we navigate through 
to any wilderness of our lives. Let us seek God's mercy. Even though we may not have all the answers, let us leave our life in God's hands and listen for what he will show us next. Let us sing together.